This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and the iHeartRadio website and app as well as at warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, Coach Kiwi is back to have a look at the final week of the AFLW competition before it was cancelled. Brian Barish reports in from the US AFL to let us know what's happening with women's footy in North America with the current COVID-19 situation, as well as Michael Curran, the head of the AFL Island women's competition, and explaining why the Irish AFLW footballers had to race back to Ireland. All of that coming up, but here's the latest women's footy news. Well, there's only one news item to talk about, isn't there? That is the cancellation of the AFL women's season for 2020. After the season was cut short at six of the eight rounds and a hurried final situation introduced with quarterfinals, semifinals and a grand final planned over a three-week period, only the first week of finals were played before on the Sunday afternoon, Gil McLaughlin, the AFL CEO, had no choice but to call off the AFLW season due to the tightening restrictions around the COVID-19 situation. Today's AFLW semi-final between Carlton and Brisbane Lions with the last NAB AFL women's match to be played with the 2020 season ending today. Given the twin conference structure and that the final series was not completed, the AFL Commission has determined no premiership will be awarded for this season as per the recommendation from the AFL executive. The decision by various state governments to close their borders and travel bans and other measures meant it was time for the AFL to immediately stop the AFLW and AFL competitions. In a moment's time, we'll hear from Coach Kiwi, Lisa Roper, with her thoughts on what was the final week of the AFLW 2020 season. That sadly also sees a number of players bow out, deciding to make their retirement announcements without the opportunity to run on the park one last time and be farewelled by their fans. As of recording, five players have confirmed their retirements. They include Geelong captain Melissa Hickey, the Western Bulldogs Premiership footballer Nicole Cullinan, St Kilda's Emma Mackey, Richmond's Lauren Tessariero and Collingwood's Emma Grant. So let's go to our first guest for this week. She's a regular on the program, normally bringing her kiss of death, giving the tips for the coming round of football. As you heard on last week's show, we had to make an edit because round seven was cancelled and they introduced finals. And now there is just simply no more football. All we can do is look back at what was just one week of finals before the COVID-19 situation meant the cancellation of the season. Joining us on the line is... Coach Kiwi, Lisa Roper. Coach Kiwi, that's it. No more AFLW. I know. It's really sad. I was hoping we'd have this particular conversation much later in April, but um, here we are. The world has changed. It is a surreal format, and I think we were doomed the moment when the new fixture was announced on uh, Thursday, when, first of all, with four finals, the AFL called it semi-finals instead of quarter-finals. Someone needs their head read there at Docklands. But um, it, it came down to a fact of, as we saw during um, the 24-hour period where they said the AFLW season was going to be shortened, no one knew they were in, no one knew they were going to be out. Collingwood, in fact, headed to the pub. Yeah, I really feel for the players. And, you know, they would have trained that night for a certain particular opponent in the weekend, as all the teams do. And then as they completed training, got told the, the sad news, and you feel pretty shattered. You would have, you know, you, you would have left your heart and soul on that field. And I don't blame them. Keep wanting to head off to the pub and probably seek some therapy um, as a group, is what a lot do when it comes to the Monday at the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, and then within, what, an hour or two hours, I told, oh, actually... Our mistake, sorry, we meant top four, not top two. Like, terrible error, but huge rollercoaster emotions. I think the best way to sum it up was actually a few days later after the season itself got cancelled and it got a lot of retweets. Uh, Ebony Antonio from the Fremantle Dockers just simply tweeted, no leadership. 
Yeah, and, and I think that there's a lot of Frio fans particularly that felt they should have just been straight awarded the premiership um, since there was no grand final. Um, I think it was Yuki that had um, the best video on Instagram. She had um, Wardlaw with her suitcase heading to the airport, not heading to the airport, heading to the airport, not heading to the airport. So, you know, I don't know if they did to the backing side, you're in and you're out, you're out and you're in, which is oh. probably how they all felt. Actually, the Lions had the best insight overall because they showed um, uh, uh, Brianna Brock uh, speaking to the players at training. This is before they knew if they were in or out and what was going on with the rest of the season. And one of the players actually piped up um, from the back saying, oh, I've already used up all my sick leave. As in, they're all trying to figure out, well, what day of the week are we playing and um, do I need to use sick leave or not or take leave from work because nobody knew what the heck was going on. Well, yeah, that's it, because if they had to travel the Friday instead of Sunday, yeah, she would have had to take, you know, more time off work. And, and you know, people probably don't realise how much of a strain it is to get this extra time off work for these part-time athletes. Um, I feel for Gold Coast, they were only home for three days before, you know, between their flights, between games. So, you know, hopefully they've got some very um, understanding employers who continue to employ them while everyone else is looking for jobs right now. But, um, yeah, some real tough times. I thought Frio being three hours behind probably had a bit of an advantage that they could train that night knowing they had a game and who they were playing. Exactly, because being the top side, they're always going to have a um, home ground advantage. Let's roll into what the AFL dubbed as four semifinals, which common sense tells us they're quarterfinals. And we'll begin, first of all, by looking at the game that was played at Icon Park. Remember, this was not played at Arden Street Oval. It was played at Icon Park for North Melbourne's quote-unquote home ground advantage. The North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos 5-4-34, defeating Collingwood 5-2-32. But the Roos got a heck of a shot in the second quarter when the Pies outscored them three goals one to one goal two and everyone thought there for a moment were almost on the edge of a ball over in fact this game went down right to the wire coach Kiwi and it only took a Jasmine Garner mark with seconds to go to relieve the pressure for the Ruse. yeah I thought this is probably the best match of the of the quarters of the whole four really um Two really talented teams, and um, right from the beginning of the season, you know, I said to people, Collingwood, you know, you've got to look out for this Collingwood team. I just felt that they had something, they were building for this through the winter season. They've got a lot of talented players, and, um, you know, a, a couple of little errors. I thought the third quarter, they probably opened up their defence line a little bit too much and let North come at them. Um, but, yeah, Collingwood had the team to take it to North and... Um, it just wasn't to be, you know. And Jamie Lambert, though she had 22 possessions, she was a little bit quiet on the goal scoring front from what we used to seeing. You know, a couple of her snaps on the pocket didn't work, whereas any other game, they would have gone through the big stick. So just, you know, I, I guess a little bit of luck against them as well. Um, and, you know, North were outstanding. They, um, they just, I guess, took the, the onslaught of the Magpies and um, just held their ground and then you know kept that possession, their short little kicking game they have, and in the end found the holes and got the score. And um, exciting game, I think, for any footy fan, you just would have been on the edge of your seat the whole game. Just an outstanding match for football. Out of the game, we saw that Emmy Carney was named amongst the best. The uh, Kangaroos captain really standing up when the game was on the line, along with uh, Ash Riddell, the player that no one wanted to recruit after being named in the 2017 VFLW Team of the Year. It still seems crazy when we look back at it. Jazz Garner and Ali uh, Gavalis, who's been a sensation in the uh, last 12 months. The best out of Collingwood, Benici Lambert, uh, Steph Kiyochi, Chloe Malloy, Davey and Leighton, who managed to get back in time after... Uh, well, dislocating her finger, including the bone that actually broke through the skin as well, which was uh, pretty awful. Uh, goals out of that game, Bateman, Ashmore, Wright, uh, Gavalis, Abitangelo for Collingwood, Campbell, Lloyd, Darcy, and two to Jordan Membry. It's great to see Jordan Membry kick two goals in a final, albeit a, a losing quarter final, considering the journey that she's had to get uh, down to Melbourne to play footy, including when she was delisted by Collingwood at the end of the previous season and to make her way back on the list. Yeah, like sometimes that delisting at each club does is because they can only keep a set number of players. And I think, you know, the ones they delist, 
there'll be a couple they don't want back, but I think a lot they try to, um, you know, keep a relationship with so they can redraft them. And so for her, that meant she was out of that top 22 that Collingwood preferred. But this season, she's pretty consistently been in that top um, well, 21 to get the games. And I thought she, I think she's been outstanding this season. She even took a couple of um, really important defensive marks in the weekend as well um, to get the team going back forward. But yeah, Shani Layton, what a trooper she is. Like, I've asked for some photos of the injury, but no one... Um, I don't think anyone was brave to take a photo at the time. Maybe it's just the sick person in me, but <laughs> I just wanted to see what it looked like. But uh, what a trooper to come out and play. And um, I don't think it hampered her at all. I think Shani just will play a really solid, shiny game. She, you know, won plenty of head-outs, got involved and tackled really contested football. She took marks. Um, you know, her, her left foot got a good swing and got the ball going forward and, um, you know, what, what a character she is for the game too. Let's look at the second uh, quarter final. This was played up at Giants Stadium uh, between the GWS Giants and Melbourne. With about a couple of minutes to go, we all thought that's it. The Giants are proceeding on to the next round to the finals. Melbourne are gone. And then three goals and a quarter to just a one behind. And Melbourne with their get-out-of-jail card, including Lily Methan, who had not scored a single goal in her AFLW career, steps up with two goals in a quarterfinal. 4-5-29 to 3-8-26. Best players out of that game, Paxman for Melbourne, along with Birch, uh, both Pierces, Mithin and Zanka, the best out of the GWS Giants, uh, Parker Bennett, Beeson, Zarika, Hetherington and Tully. You could see the devastation, couldn't you, on the Giants bench? They were like, with a couple of minutes to go, they were set, they were home, and they let it go. Yeah, they really were. And, you know, for the, right for that last quarter, they dominated that game. And, you know, perhaps should have got a bit more score on the board. There were about, I think, four or five shots on goal, which should have been, you know, through the big steps. And they just rushed it, rushed their kick or... Um, yeah, rushed off in the ball to their foot and just, um, just little moments that, that cost them, I think, in that, that kind of space. And they got, they got a good lead. A very experienced Demons team. And it's kind of a team you got to look at and say, you know, this team are that experienced in finals. That's a Darabin most in midfield, um, you know, really experienced troop in there with your Elisa Day, Karen Paxman, and those kids. They've done this to the Giants before. In round one in season two, Giants dominated the game out at Casey Field and this little troop got the game going again and put it back into Demon's hands and they won it right at the death. I think two minutes to go or four minutes to go, they got on top. And um, and I reckon the weekend, similar kind of thing. The experience just stood up, got the other players nice and calm, played through your football. And it looked to me like Giants went out in that fourth quarter to protect their lead rather than continue to really push and get more score on the board. Um, and I think just in that, that kind of style of protecting just opens it up a little bit more and then just keep coming at them. Um, but, yeah, for Lily Mitten, you know, regardless of how the season has ended, she is going to remember that one game and those two goals forever and ever. Um, you know, I'd love to see her score. I've seen her score a couple of times, you know, in a junior, junior days. And she played a season at Darabin, um, super handy, a terrific little character as well. Just didn't want to skip season scoring the winning goal against Giants, but that's how it goes. Um, and I love seeing the video that her um, mum and dad posted from um, cheering her on from way back in Victoria. Let's have a look at the third of the quarterfinals. This was the one-sided one between... Uh, from Mantle and Gold Coast and probably helping beat the drung, jungle drums that uh, Frio want to claim the premiership. Uh, from Mantle, 12-8-80 to Gold Coast, 1-4-10. 70-point win for the Dockers. That was brutal 
Three goals to Duffy, two to Flood, two to O'Sullivan, two to Horton, Roxy Rue, Ebony Antonio and Sharp getting on the scoreboard. Parker, the only goal kicker for the Gold Coast. Best for the Dockers, Bowers, both Antonios, O'Sullivan, Miller, Rue and Duffy. Yorston, Prigelli, uh, Sermon, uh, Rns and Stetton, the best for the Gold Coast. Uh, official injuries, they put it as Hewitt with concussion and Tiana Ernst with concussion. We know at one stage uh, the report was they were only down to one fit player on the bench. As you said, that that's tough for the Gold Coast. Only three days at home, having to get on a plane, fly to the other side of the country on a Friday to get ready for a game on the Saturday up against the top side in the competition. Then you have all those injuries go down. It couldn't have got really any worse luck for the Suns. Yeah, I tend to agree. And they I, they kind of just looked a little bit flat. There were a lot of them sort of running a bit more on their heels rather than on their toes. And whether it's just the fatigue of the week or the emotions of being in and out, um, I'm not sure. But um, I think you always knew Frio was going to get a pretty solid win against Gold Coast. And um, credit to the young Gold Coast team. Like, I love Lauren Bella in the ruck. Boy, isn't she exciting? Um, just the number of hit-outs that she is winning for a first-year player, it's just phenomenal. And just giving that youth, that first youth down to the team is, is just going to be key as they develop um, their combinations at Gold Coast. But, you know, they put up a good fight throughout. They never gave up. It was, you know, a bit sad to see the injury throughout the game um, happen. Um, but, yeah, Frio just, you know, they, they're just playing some really good, solid football and, you know, the youngsters that are playing, how exciting, you know, we've got Roxy Rue, I thought she was outstanding and, um, you know, have someone like her that can go forward, she did that specky, um, for, for someone who's not particularly tall, you know, she covers the rock area so incredibly well. Um, and then Horton, I just love watching Horton run with the ball wherever she is on the field. I just think she's an excitement machine and, um, and having someone like Kiara Bowers, uh, which I think in the season ended, she finished on 99 tackles officially for the season. So closing in on um, Ebony Marinoff's record. But if they count the... Um, remember when they had that pitch invader? The, pro, the protester. <laughs> yes. That would round it up to 100. So if they gave her that stat, she would have finished on a clean 100 tackles for the season. Gotta love that. And then the final quarter final um, was played at Icon Park, the standalone game on the uh, Sunday. Uh, Carlton 6 8 44, uh, defeating Brisbane Lions 2 3 15. There was a goal in it at halftime after Brisbane led at quarter time. And then um, Carlton just put the foot down after that. Four goals, six to uh, one goal, one. The Lions will be very disappointed with the fade out. Georgia GG, she goes okay. Three goals for her. Harris Vessio and McAvoy also getting on the scoreboard. Wichner and Wardlaw kicking goals for the Lions. The best from the Blues, Harrington, Prespakis, G, Vessio, Dalton and Jess Hosking. Uh, the best for uh, Brisbane, Anderson, Luckins, Bates, Spark, Wichner and Conway. Uh, injury out of that game. Presparkis with an ankle injury, back injury to uh, Campbell. And, and this is the interesting one. As, as we record this, um, the, Taylor Harris was reported for rough conduct on Emily Bates. Could you imagine that if anyone in one of these games, for example, the last round of round six the, for a side that wasn't playing finals or a side that was playing quarterfinals but was meant to go on to a semifinal, if they got reported for a one-week out that one week would actually now, because of the season stop, actually carry over to round one, 2021. Yeah, it, um, it would be really interesting. Um, the funny thing is that the MRO findings have come out from the weekend and there was no mention of Taylor Harris being on the port at all. So I'm not too sure if they're looking uh, at it I, separately. I, 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 believe the, I believe the MRO is reports laid by the MRO as opposed to this one where the report was laid by the umpire. Umpire, right. Okay, because I thought also it might be that they've looked at it and um, the head has hit the shin of, exactly. of the teammate rather but than the ground. It, so I thought maybe they It was an interesting case study that was uh, raised during the commentary where they said when, as you said, the player's head hit the ankle uh, and the question is, 
with a sling tackle report, is it the action of the sling tackle or the results of the sling tackle? Because if it's the action, then by 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 technicality, yes, that was a sling tackle. But as you said, the head didn't make contact with the ground. It was accidentally another player's foot coming through. So it's very interesting to see what the exact interpretation of that is. Is it because of the impact or because of the action that a report happens? Yeah, well, I would assume from what I've seen is that the action to doing the sling tackle is a free kick and they get penalised right there and then. It would then be the impact is when they put a player on the ball. That they actually thought she did concuss the player or deliberately threw her head to the ground, then they would go on report. So whether that is how they do it, because I'm not an umpire, so um, whether that comes into, um, you know, how they decide whether it was action or impact or... Because, you know, I just, you, normally you don't see someone go on report for a sling. It's just penalised right there and then. So it's, um, yeah, I guess it depends. And, and I can't quite remember if the umpire was around that side. I think he was inside the field of play, so probably didn't see where her head hit the ground or the leg. So um, so he's probably looking at it from the whole action and the momentum, you know, lifting the player and seeing it around as well. Brisbane would have been... carrying on playing. Yeah, Brisbane would have been disappointed with that fade-out against Carlton. They felt they were playing well early. They had the experience. It looked like they were set for a ball over. Carlton rolled over the top. As we said, G with those uh, three goals for Sparkus uh, was looking great until the ankle. Um, Carlton probably would have fancied themselves um, against North Melbourne, Tasmanian Kangaroos in the matchup which would have happened uh, this coming weekend, particularly depending on where the game would have been played. If the game was scheduled for Icon Park, that would have actually then given the home ground advantage to Carlton. So um, that, that that was itself going to be interesting. Um, and obviously Melbourne would have had to have flown over to WA to take on uh, Fremantle. But for, for Carlton... Their sense was they reckon they could have knocked off the ruse and they would have been back a grand final day again, uh, a repeat of last year. Well, you know, um, I, you know, I think the way that they've been playing is expect some fantastic football, and um, you know, you probably you would back them to make it back to the grand final for sure. I think um, you've got some good quality players, and when you take, you know, Taylor Harris and Darcy Bissier, when they're marked up with some of the best defenders in the game, you've got now your little players like your Georgia G, um, even Downey throughout the season kicks some goals. Um, Chloe Dalton, I thought she was fantastic. So they're able to then step up and make use of that space and make use of the football while Darcy and, and Taylor may do different work up the field. So, um, yeah, I think, um, Carlton has got, you know, some pretty good style of football that they've been playing. So, yeah, with every reason they would feel confident in getting back in the, into the final. So that concludes the season for 2020. Let me pose the question to you, Coach Kiwi. Should Fremantle have been awarded the Premiership or not? Was it the right call to say no Premiers? Look, I understand that everyone in purple watches, but I think it's the right call. I think um, they haven't played these other teams that are left, and so I don't think it's fair to award it on what we already class as a one-sided um, conference system anyway. So they've probably had a bit of a cushy run early on and um, yeah, I think, you know, there's four teams still alive. You can't really pick one out of the four um, at this stage, I don't feel. So um, right decision. It's probably the first time we agree with um, the powers at peak perhaps. Um, but yeah, sorry for Mantle fans. No cup. So then my question is, Amanda Frugia was a cup ambassador this year. Does she now look after this cup for the next 12 months? Or it's already engraved with 2020. She keeps this cup forever. <laughs> so, so, unfortunately, Amanda's not really active on social media, but um, if she was, <laughs> you, you'd say, is the cup in self-isolation with her? And you'd expect to have pictures of her at home with the cup, maybe put the dishes in there, have you know, sleeping with the cup, have it on the TV, <laughs> acting like a, an antenna, uh, taking the cup for a run down the park. <laughs> it would have been funny to see. Absolutely. I know, I mean, she's probably not at the moment, but I know she takes a few trips down to Java Bay and, you know, what a beautiful location to take the cup and keep it safe. 
I, for the record, believe that it was correct that uh, Fremantle weren't uh, awarded the Premiership. Like you said, they didn't play uh, North Melbourne, um, Carlton or Melbourne, So, and all of those made the final. So there's a legitimate reason to say, yes, you've got a great record, but who knows what it would have happened in this uh, conference system format. But... If I was playing the devil's advocate, and I'm surprised many Frio supporters haven't done this on social media, which I believe would have been a perfect, a perfect trolling situation. They should have all responded then under Gil McLaughlin's thing saying, oh, it's a conference format. They haven't played everyone, so we can't award them the premiership. They should have responded with, does that mean the Crows premiership from last year is null and void because they played a conference format without playing everyone? Yeah, well, and, and exactly, you know, that is where they say, you know, need to step up and say, oh, we need to play everyone. It's just how important it is to um, to have more matches. Absolutely. And the question is, will there be more matches or less matches when we roll around to 2021? Who knows when that season will start? Who knows what else is going to happen, Coach Kiwi? Because as we let you go, there's a, just quickly, there's a few important things to look at. Um, most contracts were supposed to end at the end of April. Um, we know that the, the trade period and delisting period was meant to happen in May. Um, no one knows if that can go ahead, i.e., all the staff are being stepped down, so you can imagine all recruiters and everyone else that's got to have a say on the list of who stays on and who gets delisted. And at the same time, when you're trading, Coach Kiwi, you're also trading some players for draft picks in a better position or maybe a lesser position in the order, depending on what's in the deal. You want to know roughly from the under-18s what depth is there in that pool so therefore you know what your pick could realistically get you at the same time the NAB League under 18's girls is not running we don't know if or when uh, a AFLW under 18's national championships will happen so this is very difficult Coach Kiwi to go into the draft trade period knowing that it has to be bumped to a certain stage and you want to know what you're trading for in the possible future prospects area yeah, exactly. It, it becomes really tricky times right now. And um, the staff that have been stood down, I imagine some of them will probably just be working freely anyway. And there'll be a heap of Skype calls or Skype meetings or Zoom meetings um, to talk about some of these players and, um, and probably even chatting with some players who may be traded or you know, their, what their futures may be. Um, for the under-18 girls, really, really probably challenging times. I thought this draft was going to be particularly hard anyway because there's uh, a lot less spots available this time round. And even if they extend the squad size, which um, there's been talk of that due to all the injuries for the AFW squad, even if they extend that, it's still going to be quite a small draft this season. So I think there were about 12 under-18 players in Victoria that have been training out of clubs, or it might be even less of that. I would say those 12 are in with the draft because obviously they have made contact and built relationships with the AFLW club. Any other not-quite-discovered under-18 player, probably bad luck because I don't think they're going to get to play anywhere to be seen this year. And unless the VFLW does happen, and the VFLW teams do already know the players that they're going to pick into their squads from the under-18. Um, you might get a shot in the in the VFL. Um, but the other states would probably be also really hard to try and get seen. Uh, and, and not only that, then the players are in their mid-20s or a little bit older than 18 who also wanted to have a really good VFL season. They're now limited to what games, if it goes ahead, how are they going to be seen to be drafted? And... You know, I know a couple and, and they're foreigners, so they've packed up everything of their lives and their job, their careers, their family overseas to move to Australia to play the VFL this season to get drafted. And um, it's just really uncertain time. So um, I haven't spoken to them the last couple of weeks. I'm assuming they haven't gone home. They've probably stayed in Australia. Because um, at the moment we were told for the VFL we're on standby for three weeks. And then they will review it. So um, 
You know, I know with the Irish, when they finish the AFLW season, a lot of them are headed back to play Gaelic football. But the ones that were staying here for um, to play footy have missed that cut-off as the borders are closing as well. So um, you kind of hope that there'd be some light at the end of the tunnel for those that have stayed away from home during this crisis that we're all going through. And, of course, uh, the state of the Irish players we've got coming up very shortly with Michael Curran from the uh, AFL Island Women's Competition, so stick around for that. Coach Kiwi, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We look forward to speaking with you at some stage in the future and hopefully on our commentary as well throughout the VFLW season when or if it starts. Yes, always a pleasure. And, um, and yes, let's hope we talk real soon and um, the crisis is over and um, everyone gets back to being healthy and we get some footy. And I thank Coach Kiwi very much for her time throughout the home and away season and the one week of finals that we did have for the AFLW in 2020. And we hope that we're back up and running at grassroots and state league level Sooner rather than later, of course, she's the midfield coach with Collingwood VFLW and head coach for Fitzroy Stars in the NFNL. Fingers crossed that uh, we're up and away by June, but who knows with this ever-evolving COVID-19 situation. We're going to have a break in just a moment's time, and when we return, we're going to be hearing from Michael Curran from the AFL Island Women's Competition, who's going to explain how footy stopped over there in Europe and why the Irish AFLW players were so keen to head back home to Ireland so quickly. And then Brian Barish from the USAFL will explain what is happening in North America. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football You're tuned to RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, and you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. Well, AFLW 2020 was meant to be a standout year for Irish women playing in the AFLW competition. Barely any had ever been dropped on form. They were all having a sensational year, all bar one. Anya Tai, who, of course, had done her knee just prior to the start of the season. But 17 Irish women performing well really boded well for more Irish women to come over and play in our competition. And who knows, maybe one day we could dream of that international match at an Aussie rules level between Australia and Ireland. But all of that has changed with the COVID-19 situation, including some players who were meant to play in the AFLW finals before they were cancelled, deciding to head back home to Ireland. And to explain a little bit more, we've got on the line from the AFL Ireland women's competition, one of our regulars, Michael Corain. Michael, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? Hi, Peter. How are you? Very strange times we're in at the moment, for sure. Indeed, indeed. If we talk about before the COVID-19 situation really hit, let's first of all focus on AFLW. It seemed to be a terrific year for all the Irish women that had come across, bar one who had an injury uh, from Fremantle uh, before the start of the season. Every Irish woman uh, was holding her spot on the side and performing well. Yeah, it's been an amazing competition. The girls, all uh, 17 of them that have been playing apart from Anya Thai, as you mentioned there, who did our ACL uh, in pre-season games. Um, we've been tracking them all here. They've been playing extremely well. Um, great interest here at home on who was making the team sheets every weekend. Uh, we were watching the games, watching the highlights, um, keeping track of all the girls. And we even had our own Irish player of the round competition going here at home um, with a view to an Irish player of the year that ended up being cut a little bit short. But... Yeah, fantastic to see the Irish girls do so well, especially the new girls that went over there. Of course, the players that have been there in their second and third uh, seasons have played even better, had a much bigger impact on the games and on their teams and on their team lists. Uh, so it's, it's fantastic 
So I'm sure all the girls are devastated that the season was cut short um, after round six. But um, we're very proud of how all the girls have played and they can be very happy and proud of themselves and on how they represented themselves and uh, Irish football over there and their families and friends. We're even just looking in the past few weeks, uh, Neve Kelly uh, being amongst your best uh, Irish women on your top five uh, players on the round. Katie Heron at the uh, Western Bulldogs. Neve McAvoy with the Demons who had to fly back. Aileen Gilroy. And it was great to see Clara Fitzpatrick performing well, considering we knew that you know she'd been, what, for three years in Melbourne trying to fight her way to a spot on the list through Diamond Creek, Melbourne University, and then the Southern Saints. Yeah, for sure, Peter. It's been great to see all the girls. We've had our top five every week, and while a couple of the girls were consistently in the top one or two or three there, we had a number of girls making appearances. Um, and as you mentioned there, the likes of Katie, her, Neve McAvoy, Clara Fitzpatrick in there a few times, absolute stunning performance from her, especially as a, a key defender, probably not one of the more glamorous roles on the field. So she was getting in the point every other weekend as well. And as you said, probably uh, Clara, nobody deserved it more than Clara. She probably was should have been given an opportunity last season or the season before. So for it to finally come to Kilda, um, we're exceptionally delighted for her here at home. But yeah, as you say, week in, week out, we had different girls stepping up and having some standout performances. So we started to see um, before the weekend, uh, Ashley McCarthy said that she was going to return home, that it rolled on to Katie Heron. Melbourne sent back their two footballers in Goldrick and McAvoy, and all of a sudden it started to be a, a, a domino effect. Just about nearly every Irish woman said they were heading back home. We knew what was happening in Australia with the limited international flights. Um, can you tell us, um, obviously, what is happening over there in Ireland with the COVID-19 situation and obviously why the Irish women were so keen to get back home so quickly. Yeah, for sure, Peter. And, and with the girls you mentioned there, um, Maria Choiga and Joanne Doonan um, flew home and landed with the, the girls there yesterday evening as well. So I think really the situation is that we're probably about three weeks ahead of Australia in terms of um, the restrictions that have been put in place. And obviously um, schools have been closed here now for three weeks. All sports fixtures have been pretty much wiped out for three weeks. So to a certain extent, there would have been uh, a degree of surprise and possibly shock in some quarters that the AFLW and AFL was actually going ahead given what was happening here at home. So there would have definitely been a lot of concern for the Irish players, um, obviously amongst our families and friends and our teammates back here at home. Um, in terms of the restrictions and from a government um, point of view, the, the leader, the teacher of the country, did, did a national broadcast um, last week for the first time in I don't know how many years where he basically asked that all Irish citizens come home as quickly as possible um, that wanted to come home um, within a few days so as not to uh, risk facing restrictions or limited travel options so that was probably the main catalyst I think that um, would have spurred some of the girls to come back. Um, some of the players obviously were finished um, that weren't involved in finals um, uh, when the pool stages were cut short so you'd be like the Bulldogs players at Ashling and Katie um, made the calls come back there fairly quickly. Then you had some of the players that were involved in finals like Snake Goldrick and Eve McAvoy at, at Melbourne and uh, Maria Chuga at North Melbourne Kangaroos and Joanne June and Carlton all often come back as well. And of course, Carson Patrick came home there as well. So uh, I know as well that Eve and Grace Kelly's parents were out there for the last while um, having a bit of a break. So they're all due to come back. I'm not 100% sure if the girls are travelling home with them or will follow shortly. But generally, the view would be yeah, that players were keen to get back as soon as possible. And as I mentioned, probably on the basis that we're maybe three weeks further down the line here at home in terms of the reaction to the, to the COVID-19 situation, um, there would probably be a lot of pressure coming on the players from here in Ireland to get back home as soon as possible as well. I think the situation was best outlined a day or so ago online in an article by uh, Ailish Considine from the Adelaide Crows uh, where she mentioned she was uh, trying to get legal advice of what would it mean if she uh, uh, could stay in Australia because obviously the fear for her was uh, uh, the visa expires uh, sometime in May is that if they overstay the visa and not through a fault of their own but they just simply can't get back because of what restrictions in place what black mark that goes against potential visas for them to wanting to come back and play further seasons? 
Oh, of course, you got to feel for players and the likes of Eilish in particular there who really wanted to stay on out there for another few weeks. Um, but as you say there, the visa question becomes very critical and you don't really want to risk overstaying your visa even if it's through no fault of your own and then not being able to get back out there in October, November again, um, assuming all goes well for season 2021 to, to kick off. So yeah, really tough decisions, big calls for some of these girls. Um, so um, I have the highest respect for all of them. It's really tricky and um, every one of them is in a unique situation and hopefully uh, the main thing is that they all get to go where they need to go and everyone stays healthy and stays safe and um, hopefully this thing all blows over and in a few months we'll be looking back on it but at the minute it's a very serious situation. That, of course, is from the AFLW perspective. I want to talk about what's happening with grassroots sports for you over there in Ireland. We go back, I think, about a month when the University's Cup was originally called off because you had bad weather conditions. Then the COVID-19 situation happened. So um, can you talk us through that rolling situation where I think you've lost the University's Cup, you also lost the International University's Challenge, and I believe as well the European Champions League also wiped out? Yeah, it was an absolute domino effect there. Um, the University's Cup really wasn't meant to be this year. That was the first one to go. As you rightly pointed out, we had to postpone initially due to a storm. Dennis, I think it was a horrendous weather. So we rescheduled for two weeks later. And then the COVID-19 situation really came to a head, literally a day or two out from the rescheduled date um, of the University's Cup. Events started getting cancelled left, right and centre. Um, meeting in groups, public gatherings, all this stuff was started to be advised against so we felt really there was there was no other option at time except to pull the plug on it and that was a real a real blow because we had I think close to nine or ten university teams to take part this year. Uh, much bigger competition than last year. Uh, we were looking at University of Limerick at AIT, UCC, U C D, Trinity, um, we had players from DCU, Manute, potentially Sligo IT, Mary I so and, and a mixed barbarian team. So obviously Devastated that that one um, didn't get to didn't get to play, but in in the bigger situation and in terms of what transpired since, obviously um, it was just the first of many. So the knock-on effect from that, the next one to go then was the universities international cup between Irish universities and uh, Great Britain in UL All Stars, which was both a men's and women's fixture scheduled for London for April the 18th. Um, working in conjunction with um, William at AFL England, there we had to make the call again. In, in, in terms of people booking accommodation and flights and everything, we made the call reasonably early um, as soon as the situation became clear. So that one um, was postponed and, and hopefully we'll look at it later on in the year. And then uh, most recently, obviously, we had the Champions League, which is one of the, the bigger competitions here in Europe. So that was um, a devastating blow. That was due for 4th of April in Amsterdam and that's been uh, cancelled um, as well. So... Yeah, one after the other, all the major competitions are gone. All domestic competitions are gone. We would have been due to have our Super Sevens League um, over April, May and June. Um, that's likely not to happen now in any capacity at this stage. Um, so everything is off. Everything is postponed. Uh, when we do get back on the Oval, wishful thinking would be kind of September, October, but who really knows? Um, there's going to be some backlog of fixtures and competitions uh, to run and some of them may get to go ahead and some of them may not but it's really just it's one of those years that at this stage I think by the time we get to September October uh, hopefully the situation will have improved and people will be glad to get any um, bit of body action they can at that stage I'd imagine um, after months of isolation and, and no access to body grounds and stuff but yeah un- unprecedented times I want to talk about the effect that this has going forward for the recruitment of Irish women into the AFLW because we know the AFL International Cup has now been postponed for a year and will take place now in 2021. Obviously, if it was held this year in July, August, it would have been a fantastic opportunity for those that came across, not only to try and win the Cup, but obviously showcase their skills to recruiters there in Maroochydore. I'm guessing roughly around this time of year, as you said, with the Super 7 starting to get ready, it would have been uh, in conjunction with crosscoders, for example, all the AFL itself, draft combines, etc., would have been held to try and see the next batch of Irish women that could possibly be recruited in October. Like you said, if things aren't ready to start up again to September, October, that's potentially way too late to be even considered for a draft in October if a draft should happen. 
Yeah, everything is so up in the air, Peter. And as you mentioned there, the AFL International Cup, I hadn't even touched on that one. The biggest competition of all, absolutely devastating for all of us there. We've been working on that for three years, literally. So it's postponed out to 2021 and we all have to reset and readjust to that date, uh, which we'll do, of course. Um, but yeah, huge implications in terms of talent ID, in terms of people playing football. I know there was a number of um, recruitment camps planned by the AFL. They've all been postponed here in Ireland now. I'm sure all of the camps that were planned as well will have to be postponed. Um, is there going to be a draft? Who knows? Um, generally, you're looking at around the 30th of August as the, the days for um, listing your uh, international recruits. Will there be any football played here at all? Will it be even possible to test or see girls between the 30th of August? At this stage, I wouldn't bet on it. So, yeah, the whole thing is absolutely up in the air and, of course, the impact that the shutdown will have on AFL and AFLW and the individual clubs. Who knows what position clubs are going to be in come next October uh, around draft time in terms of if the budgets are even going to be there to, to look at um, the same amount or less or more international um, rookie recruits. So, yeah, it's got a massive knock-on effect. Obviously, it's huge there in Australia, but it's got a massive knock-on effect for us um, in terms of community football all around the world in terms of opportunities to get uh, girls out playing and trying out the sport and opportunities for, for them to be seen by um, by club recruits and by recruitment camps and by talent ID scouts, etc. So it's it's very hard to know how it will all pan out, but potentially big implications for lists for, for 2021 at this stage. Well, Michael, thank you very much for taking us through what the current situation is in Ireland when it comes to women's football. Obviously, with the AFLW players returning home and the suspension of local and European and international competitions, uh, we wish you uh, safety and a lot of health. Um, hopefully, you get through this okay with the COVID-19 situation. And let's hope that uh, it's only a matter of a month or two and not six or seven months like they're predicting. Absolutely, Peter. And the same to you and your team there and all the listeners. Um Hopefully we're back in action sooner rather than later. And in the meantime, a good health and stay safe to everybody. Thanks very much. We thank Michael very much for his time. We hope to catch up with him uh, in the coming months once women's footies up and running in Ireland and Europe again. When we return on the other side of the break, we're going to head over to North America and the media manager of the United States Australian Football League, Brian Barish. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. As we continue here with the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, we're going to head over to the United States now for the United States Australian Football League. Originally planned on their calendar, they have got uh, in June, July regional tournaments and their big national tournaments due in October. We know for them the International Cup is off, as reported last week. And to give us the latest that's happening on the ground, we've got over there the USAFL media manager, Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? I'm doing all right, Peter. How are you? Not too bad, all things considered. I believe you're in a state of lockdown over there in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, things have really changed a lot in the last week and a half. Um, Basically, the term is anything that is considered non-life-sustaining is not open here in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, And the city of Philadelphia, as you and I uh, talked, Pete, um, has gone into a shelter-in-place situation, and we expect that to extend to the state of Pennsylvania. So um, it's uh, very uh, odd times, very just a very fluid situation, but the most important thing is to just make sure that everybody is healthy, and, that's, and obviously we're abiding by that. Now, we know that the big sports are being called off. I'm talking about the NBA. We're talking the NHL. MLB is postponed its season. NFL is in off-season at the moment. There's a lot of trade signings and all that happening. Essentially, paperwork stuff behind the scenes. No actual play, and they're not due to play to August, September. So let's focus on what's happening at a grassroots level. Before we talk about 
regionals, nationals that were due to come up. Um, how does Aussie rules in the US with the USAFL at the moment sit alongside, I'm guessing, beer league baseball, for example, and all of that community sport about going ahead, not going ahead? Well, the because we're so spread out, um, we're basically leaving it to, up to the clubs to decide what they want to do. And when the situation first, uh, I guess, took the turn that it did, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when the NBA started to shut down everything else, the first call was um, that there was, you know we're recommending that everybody put on hold. Uh, trainings, you know, mass trainings, metro games, et cetera. Um, as things have gone on, as of uh, this over the weekend, uh, Seb Aguiari, who was the president of the USAFL, uh, said that that's now become a strongly uh, strong recommendation to suspending footy competitions and activities for at least the next 15 days, so at least through the beginning of April. There was a game uh, supposed to be in Houston where the D.C. Eagles were going to travel to take on uh, the Lone Stars on the men's side and the Texas Heat. That was scheduled for this past Saturday. That was postponed. The Mid-Atlanta Cup for Richmond, Virginia, uh, that was postponed as well. Um, Basically, we're telling people, you know, if you want to keep working out, uh, do so by yourself, uh, do so in your home, do so if you have a backyard or if there's an open park nearby, uh, use common sense. Um, there shouldn't be any team trainings. Most teams are coming up with uh, some sort of regimen. Uh, we've seen uh, a couple of teams on social media, such as the Baltimore Dockers, come up with a uh, like a push-up challenge, and um, people within the uh, the women's uh, community and with the USA Freedom are doing challenges as well. So. Um, Basically, we're, we're all trying to make do as best we can, and um, it, it's interesting. I, I really feel for some of these leagues that are more grassroots or at a minor league level uh, that are trying to come up with content because, you know, obviously it's a lot of retrospective. It's a lot of, you know, what can we do considering that we don't have anything current, uh, at least in our um, situation right now. So uh, everybody is looking for creative ways to just kind of stay, you know, keep keep the passion going, keep interest going, um, and and it's it been a very creative time. We'll say that. We know here in Australia with the AFL suspended and as were two weeks ago, uh, the various state leagues, needless to say the AFLW being cancelled, but the leagues that were meant to be rolling through winter uh, have all been postponed to at least May 31st. Now technically, if the USAFL were to follow that, the regionals are past that cutoff. They're due to begin in mid to late June, then rolling into July. Um, what's the go on making a call on that? Because obviously you can't just say, right, we start this weekend because obviously people need to get together, train as a group together, warm up and, and obviously prepare themselves as a team. So the deadline to, as far as making a decision on that, Pete, is going to be May 1st. Um, obviously, there are a lot of different factors, some of them you just mentioned, um, with, you know, obviously the teams have to get together. They, they want to be able to train as a team, um, you know, May 1st. That is about six weeks out from the Central Regional, uh, and then you know, uh, you know, almost two months to the Eastern, and then to the Western. Um, the biggest thing in terms of that, aside from what you mentioned, is logistics. Um, you know, you're talking about a six-week turnaround to buy tickets for for uh, for flights, and you know, a lot of folks may not have done that already, and if they have, then we're strongly suggesting um, that they get travel insurance. Um, they, part of the statement that the league released, which is on our website, was that um, you know, because the hotels are being done through the league, through, through a block setup, that uh, there is a the cancellation policy is is pretty um, is not terribly stringent. So there's a free cancellation policy if it gets to the point where teams who have scheduled blocks. Um, I, I think what it's going to come down to is 
you know, can we make the call and, and is it going to be feasible because uh, for not only for teams to be competitive, but for players to be able to make it out there? One of the economic, one of the factors in all of this is obviously the economic factor. And when you consider the fact that, you know, some people aren't working, some people are looking at layoffs and, and if not having already been laid off already because of, you know, the lack of their work, um, that's going to impact whether or not they're going to be able to travel for a tournament in June and, and or July. And it also is going to impact whether or not they're going to be at Nationals, assuming that Nationals is still on. Um, the call on Nationals is probably not going to happen until uh, probably the summer, depending on where we are. And uh, once we get past um, figuring out what's going to happen with regionals and start looking, the board will make a decision in terms of, um, you know, membership dues, um, uh, in terms of uh, the uh, point uh, qualification uh, for eligibility for nationals that might be relaxed a bit. That's still way out, and, and uh, you know I, I can't really speak to you know what that might look like, but that's kind of where we are at the moment. Well, it raises two points about things that we see in the future. The first point, uh, one is nationals, one is obviously on the international scene. I'll focus on nationals for a moment. Like you said, they're due to begin in October. Now, if the health authorities are correct and they reckon this thing will be over and done within six months, that means mid-September, the nationals windows is mid-October. So that's outside that window. But as you rightfully said, uh, come September who may have a job, um, who may then have the money to be able to go to nationals. And I guess that's a tough call, dude, that if there's too few going to go to nationals, if that goes ahead or not. Well, what the board will do and what the tournament committee will do is actually kind of in their normal routine is that in late August or so, the clubs are polled as to how many players they have uh, have they have that will commit to going to nationals and yeah if there won't be enough teams or there won't be enough players and that's something that uh, would probably be considered is that you know we might not be able to have nationals or it wouldn't be prudent to have it um, but uh, so, so that, in a sense, is routine, and I think that if, you know, irrespective of where we are then, I mean, obviously, if, if it's still as bad as it is in, in, in August, then it, it's not worth having uh, this discussion because it's, a, it's, it's straightforward. But, yeah, if, if things have calmed down and there's a possibility that we might have it, then it'll be, I think, business is normal in terms of just pulling the teams and then making a decision on what to do. And as we look into the future, uh, 2021 also gets affected because the International Cup, as we mentioned last week, was meant to be held in July, August in Australia. That will be postponed. They believe it will still be in the July, August window for 2021. Uh, the USA will be attending. So will be Great Britain. And I mentioned Great Britain because originally there was going to be a series of matches between the USA and Great Britain scheduled for 2021. And naturally, that will now have to be reevaluated. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I haven't heard anything much on what the decision is going to be. And I, I imagine that's going to, that might get pushed back a year, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting just in, in uh, talking and, and listening to what's, to what's been going on. Um, you know, Christina Licata in, in terms of they're already starting to plan for 2021. Uh, if you look on the social media, they're still doing their fundraisers. Um, but the focus is now on next year for them. And uh, they still are looking at how they're going to proceed in terms of uh, just staying in training, keeping everybody focused on the program and, and heading towards that, towards that goal of playing uh, next year. So that's what the situation is at the moment with the coronavirus on the football in North America. I want to talk about something a little bit more on the positive side. It was, I guess, the weekend of flirtation that the American public had with the game of Aussie rules football. You're behind the USAFL media account, albeit they're more looking at the men's game than the women's game. We hope some were introduced to the AFLW for the weekend that it was on. Um, your Twitter account followers went from under 4,000 to now over 5,000. 
I guess uh, what does that mean for for the competition and also to try and uh, get the game in front of people's eyes over there at the grassroots level in North America? Well, uh, it's it's interesting because we had people that didn't know that you know what the sport was and didn't realize we had a league here, and then we had those who. Um, you know, obviously from Australia or people who love the game that didn't know that we had a, a, a league here, didn't know we had teams here. Um, it was a very surreal, bizarre 48 hours because, you know, you start to look around. Not only, obviously, are the, are the uh, professional teams here uh, uh, on hiatus, but slowly but surely you started to see like the Mexican soccer league, some of the uh, leagues in Europe that were still sticking around. Uh, the National Rugby League was still playing and the A-League were still playing as well. But the focus was now on Australian football. And um, what's, what's interesting is, is that uh, I think Fox ended up making a really great decision. Um, Taylor Walker of the Adelaide Crows had mentioned it. I know I had mentioned it. There were a few people that said, look, you know, you have all these extra games. There's no other sports now. Instead of burying it, these matches on Fox Soccer Plus, let's bump them up to Fox Sports 1, which is part of just about every basic cable package in the USA. And it would have been nice if, it, if they would have been able to get some of the AFLW playoff matches as well. Um, obviously, it didn't work out that way. They still were on Fox Soccer Plus, which they have been all, all – uh, winter long here in the USA. Um, but the fact that we had so many people, I mean, it was usually what I do is I usually go through and look for certain phrases to see who is talking about Aussie rules when I know that there's going to be a game on Fox Sports 2 uh, or on Fox Sports 1. Um, and most nights we usually have maybe, you know, probably about 50 or so people talking about it. Um, I I lost count. I think we very well may have had about uh, you know 1,500 or 2,000 notifications over the weekend uh, in that 48-hour span. Um, we were able, obviously, Pat McAfee, uh, the former Indianapolis Colts punter, got on board. Uh, he got um, you know mentioned by. Uh, you know, SEN and, and Seven and all these other outlets up there picked that out. Uh, Julie DeCaro, who is a well-known journalist who also uh, hosts a, a sports talk show in the Chicago market, uh, she discovered the game one Thursday, and I got to go on her show and talk about the game with her. Um, I, you know, it was very rare where for, for you know, just a, a brief shining moment, we were at the center of the universe. And it, it's interesting to think that, you know, here's this really terrible situation, and irrespective of whether or not you thought that the AFL should have been playing and whether or not we should have been, you know, pumping it up the way that we were, I don't think we'll ever see an opportunity like this again where we're the only game in town and, and there's nothing else live on. So it's a shame that it came under these circumstances, but the fact that, you know, we've been talking, you know, there's been this talk about having games in the U.S. You know, with GWS and Essendon uh, on the men's side. Well, now more Americans know the game, and a lot of them are based on the West Coast as well, considering that this game, that, the, that one of the games Friday night was in prime time. So they can't make the argument that nobody knows about the game anymore. Many more Americans do, and hopefully this is the start of something that will last way beyond this weekend. Absolutely, and uh, we already know that uh, one or two clubs have already said they've been speaking to people who found them on social media after the weekend, and we hope that continues the growth. We said the only unfortunate thing is um, the thing that helped the exposure of the game means that clubs can't play at the moment, so we can't get them to the park immediately this weekend, but let's hope that uh, uh, a lot of clubs, as you said, and they're already doing uh, active on social media because um, I guess it's it's a downtime, and, and the crucial thing comes down to with our sport is what people do with this downtime. 
Well, yeah, and, and the thing is, is that you, we have to find creative ways to hold everybody's attention. Um, like I said, a lot of the clubs um, are, you know, one of the things I suggest is one of the things that I'm doing is, uh, you know, just bringing up old USAFL games, just bringing back videos and um, educating folks as to the, the, the game itself. You know, especially on the Twitter format, we've got a lot of people who are, who are brand new and don't know a whole lot about the history of the game. Um, you know, there are a lot of videos. There's one from the 1940s, a doco, like a quick 10-minute doco about uh, how the game, you know, about the game and, and uh, the 1947 grand final. Uh, you got footage of the game going all the way back to the 1909 VFL grand final. Uh, you have uh, all these games from the 70s and the 80s. And there's a lot of people talking about, you know, ESPN this weekend is showing uh, – all of these different things like cherry seed spitting and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the hot dog eating competition. It would have been nice if they would have been able to get some of the USAFL games on. Uh, that didn't happen, but, you know, um, but a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, I remember, you know, where's Australian rules football? I wish we had Australian rules football back. Well, we did. And that was part of, you know, that, that audience. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that we're planning on doing is, uh, uh, just again, just just bringing up content that is engaging not only for folks that are, have been with us, new folks, but also our teams as well. So that's something to keep an eye out on our social media. And um, I don't want to drop anything just quite yet, but uh, there might be uh, a podcast in our future. We're we're seriously considering launching that in the next few days. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, as you regularly do. We're naturally hoping at this time of year we'll be talking about the season preview and who's got what recruits and who looks good for the uh, tournaments this year. But let's hope that... um in a few weeks' time, couple of months, whatever it may be, that uh, we are speaking again and we are talking about football restarting again, not only here in Australia, but in North America and the rest of the world. Thanks, Pete. Me too. Be safe. And that just about concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. Before I go, just to let you know, until further notice, we'll continue producing our show each and every week. It will air at 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne and then be available as a podcast at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, also the iHeartRadio website and app and at WARFradio.com. So please do us a favour, leave a review if you can and also share it with your friends. If they're looking for something to listen to, particularly if they're forced to stay at home with the COVID-19 situation and they just want some footy content, tell them we've got it for them at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. We hope in the coming weeks to speak to some of the AFLW talent. That is all, of course, depending upon if the AFLW clubs permit us to chat to their players. We understand some will say no, that they're in the lockdown situation. Hopefully some are a bit more open-minded. Um, we'll also try and chat to those at a state league level, at grassroots, and those that are playing uh, overseas. And when I say playing, of course, they're stopped due to COVID. COVID-19, but do plan on picking up the football once we all have the green light to do so once again. And we also hope to catch up at some stage with some of the AFLW stars that have retired to reflect back on their career. Don't forget you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search WARF Radio and our website WARFradio.com. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for listening and I look forward to your company again next week.